Let's go to the Lord again in prayer. Holy Father, hallowed be thy name. Help us to love you, to serve you, and we pray that you would bless us as we continue to worship you and pray that you would bless what is being said or is to be said. First of all, be to your honor and glory and for the benefit and the encouragement of all who hear. We thank you for your word. And we thank you that though heaven and earth shall pass away, thy word abides forever. We do not know how we will continue to learn in eternity. But we do believe that it will be in accordance with the word that we have in thy book today. As John so plainly said, we know not what we shall be. We know that we shall be like him when we see him as he is. But even that leaves us a great deal in the dark. And yet at the same time, we know that we will be without sin. We know that we will be in this body Though it is sown in dishonor, it will be raised in glory. Though it is sown in weakness, it will be raised in power. And though it will be sown a sinful body, it will be raised a sinless body. And we don't even know how to begin to contemplate such truths. We thank You for Your faithful love toward us. We thank You that You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that Your love toward us does not wax and wane as ours does toward You. Now again, we ask that you would bless us as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. As you know, we 
Last time we met, we began our introduction <clears throat> on the study of First John. And we tried to point out a few things uh, about the book itself, how that it was basically written against Gnosticism. And we'll say a little bit more about that as we go on. And we pointed out that uh, uh, even in the history of Christianity, there's hardly any uh, question as to whether John is the author not only of uh, these epistles or this epistle and the other two that is given to his name as well as the gospel. And we made mention of the fact that Arrhenius mentioned Polycarp who was alive during the time that John was alive and that Arrhenius uh, talked about how that uh, uh, how blessed it was to hear John speak. <clears throat> we also uh, looked to some of the, the of the identifying remarks of John, and we studied somewhat of his lineage and showed that he. His parentage and his kinfolk was uh, aligned with uh, Peter and Andrew. In fact, James and John were in business, and their fathers uh, were in business together with Peter and Andrew, and no doubt Peter and Andrew's father in the fishing industry. And that John, having the name of John, uh, also connects him to the uh, the John the Baptist because in Scripture that's first the first John that we find and he was named of the Lord and John the Baptist was in the priestly family and we also noted that uh, John was connected to the priestly family by the fact that he was the one that got Peter into the judgment hall that night and that uh, he uh, was uh, known or he knew uh, the name of the servant of the high priest whose ear Peter cut off and also that John knew a kinsman of Malchus. We saw that from the Gospel of John. And then we saw later on in the book of Acts, there was another man that was of the priestly family by the name of John. And so we see a connection there of John being an ignorant fisherman, that is unschooled, uneducated, yet kin to the high priestly family and uh, in the fishing industry and all such things as that. A little bit more about John. Uh, We want to look now to see that his place of residency was a town on the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Genesareth and very likely was in Capernaum. 
Look at Mark uh, chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. I'll begin at verse 19. Also, uh, we pointed out that it's very likely that John was called more than one time to follow the Lord as Peter was. And, uh, but anyway, we won't uh, retrace that uh, path. John 1, I'm mean, excuse me, Mark 1, verse 19. And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, who also were in the ship, mending their nets, and straightway he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. And they went into Capernaum. Not in Nazareth, but in Capernaum. Capernaum, by the way, was at the very top of the end of the Sea of Galilee the Sea of Genesaret, the Sea of Tiberias. All of those three names go are given to that sea. So if you're reading in the Bible about the Sea of Genesaret or the Sea of Tiberias or the Lake of Genesaret or the Sea of Galilee, they're all one and the same. And so don't let that uh, throw you off. And they went into Capernaum, And straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. And there was in the synagogue a man, let's see, I think I'm looking at the wrong thing. I should be in Matthew, excuse me. No, I should be in Mark. (laughs) Uh, Yes, and there was in their synagogue, verse 23, a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone, what have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, who thou art the Holy One of God, and so on. But the point that we're wanting to make is that after he had called James and John and uh, Peter and Andrew, they went into Capernaum. And it's very likely that they resided there for quite a while because drop down to verse 29 of Mark 1. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and anon they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. Now, of course, we don't know uh, whether the archaeological uh, discoveries of Capernaum today or what they were in the day of Christ or not. But when I was in the city of Capernaum in 1972, they showed us 
the remains of a synagogue and which could be very likely where Christ was. And they showed near there a structure that was supposed to have been Peter's mother-in-law's house. So, uh, But we don't know whether that was the same place or not. But we do know this. It was all in Capernaum. We know that. And it appears, if you study the life of Christ and everything, this is where Christ's residency was for a while. Not only in Peter's house with Andrew, but also James and John were with them. They were with him. As we've already seen in our previous reading here, that there that John's occupation was a fisherman. He was a fisherman. And like we pointed out before, we'll point this out again. Uh, look in Luke chapter five that James and John and Peter and Andrew were partners in the fishing industry. John chapter 5, excuse me, Luke chapter 5. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he told unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. In other words, Peter was a uh, professional fisherman. And you can just see or hear Peter's uh, hesitancy here. Uh, Master, we, we've been toiling all night. We haven't taken anything. But... Uh, yeah, but anyway, just 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 to show you, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of reading between the lines here, but just to show you, we're going to let down the net and let you see that we we can't catch any fish. We've been fishing all night. In verse six, and when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in other ship, in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. And we're going to see here in just uh, shortly that their partner was James, uh, 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 James and John. When Peter, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus's knees and saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished. And all that were with him at the drouth of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, there you go, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. Simon. 
And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. So you see here that uh, uh, I thought I had covered some of this already before, but evidently I'm covering this now, that they were Peter and James and John and Andrew and their father, they were all in the uh, fishing business together. Fishing business together. I'll pass this on for whatever it might be worth. Uh, I thought I'd ignore it, but I keep thinking about it. Uh, R.C. Sproul said of this passage that uh, if he were Peter, he would have said, Lord, uh, let's be partners. And just come once a month and give us a catch like this, and we'll give you 50%, and we'll make a big profit in our fishing industry. Well, uh, I don't think the Lord would have been in such a fishing industry as that. Uh, Peter's uh, uh, What Peter did is more honoring to the Lord Peter realized that the Lord was right and Peter was a sinful man. And when we see ourselves for what we are, we too fall at the feet of our Master. But thankfully, we have something now that Peter did not have at that time. We have the understanding of the finished work of Christ. And that we have a high priest that is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And that we can come to him at all time to obtain mercy and grace and help in time of need. I made reference to this at the beginning. I wanted to look at this somewhat in detail to show you why I say what I say that it is possible that Peter uh, that John was called three times before he did leave everything and follow the Lord just like Peter was. You know, we read these passages and we think that uh, just like here in, in Luke, that immediately they just left everything and followed the Lord. When... <coughs> That's not always the case. In John chapter 1, John chapter 1, picking up at verse... 35. Again, the next day after John, this is John the Baptist now, not the Apostle John, and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. 
Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And when he brought him to Jesus, excuse me, and he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. The day following, Jesus will go forth into Galilee and find a Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And I'm going to stop there. Now it doesn't say who that other disciple was. But if you note what we have covered already, John always refers to himself in the third person. He never calls himself and identifies himself, but that one that Jesus loved, that disciple that was on his uh, his breast, and, and so on and so forth. And it's believed by some, and I lean toward that, that this other disciple was very likely John because he was with Andrew, and John and Andrew were, they were fishers together. They were in business together. And they... Uh, traveled together along with uh, Peter and Andrew. Uh, and James, I mean. So, if, if that's true, this may be the first time that John was called. Alright? And we know that Andrew brought, brought Peter to Christ. Look in Mark, Matthew chapter 4 quickly. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18. And Jesus walking by the sea of Galilee saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. They were casting their nets in the sea. But looking at where we read in Luke chapter 5, I won't go back there and read all of it, but I want to go and read part of it. Luke chapter 5. Take it up at verse 1, going verse 2. And saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. 
So in one place, the Lord calls them while they were in the ship. Here they were on the shore when He calls them. And we know that the Lord called Peter there in John. Yeah, Peter when Andrew brought him to Christ and He told him to follow Me and I'll make you fishers of men. And it's very likely that John was included in this as well. Because we know John was included with them in Matthew and in Mark, and could very likely in John. You say, well, what's the significance of that? Well, the significance of it is one thing that we don't always uh, drop everything immediately and start following the Lord. Sometimes it's a, a process. And Peter's process was unique in the fact that he was called three times. Uh, uh, he was told by the Lord that he would deny him three times. He denied the Lord three times. After he had seen the Lord resurrected three times, he went fishing. Uh, the sheet was let down to him three times. He was told to rise and eat three times, and he didn't. And you say, well, what's the significance of all of that? I don't know. No more than I know the significance of uh, when I was in the seventh grade. I fell down on Friday the 13th and stuck a nail in my knee. And the doctor had said if I waited too very much longer before I went to the hospital, they would have had to have uh, amputated one of my legs because of gangrene. Later on, on Friday the 13th, I found four four-leaf clovers and got hit in the mouth with a baseball bat. And then when I was around 16 years of age, on Monday the 13th, uh, I, fell, I fell and broke my neck. And then in um, March of 2020, on the 13th, I forget what day it was, I fell and broke my kneecap. You say, well, what's the significance of that? I don't know, just one of those things. I'm not superstitious either. <laughs> but I just say, there are things in our lives that God uses, maybe multiple of things that God uses as part of our being conformed to the image of Christ. And we may not know all of the significance of it, but uh, just I just wanted to point out some of the uh, oddities of this uh, with regard to John as well as Peter that possibly they were called three times. And uh, if you want to study that further, I would just say look at uh, Matthew chapter 4, Mark chapter 1, Luke chapter 5, John chapter 1, and uh, you'll see a lot of different things that uh, different. Some they were in the boat, some they were on the shore, and otherwise. <clears throat> and naturally... John was called to be an apostle. We look at that. That's obvious. But look at Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, verse 14. And he ordained twelve that they should be with him. I like to pause at that. You say, God called them to be apostles. And they had mighty miracles and did mighty miracles and so on and so forth. 
But the first thing, He called them to be with Him. That's what God calls all of us, first of all, to be with Him. Before we're interested in our ministry, we need to be interested in being with Him. Being with Him. But anyway, and that He might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. And Simon, he surnamed Peter, and James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, and he surnamed them Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder. So we see here that he was called an apostle. And we see here also uh, part of John's early disposition. As we just read here, he was a son of thunder. In other words, John was quick in judgment. But you don't see that in his epistle or in the Revelation. You see a man that is mellowed quite a bit as we shall continue on. Speaking of him being a son of thunder, look at Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Taken up in fifty at verse fifty one. And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, and sent messengers before his face. And they went and entered into the village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him, because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John, the sons of thunder, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and to consume them as Elias did? You remember Elijah that uh, he was out on the mountain and Ahab sent 50 men to go and bring Elijah and he said, if I be the, the, the man of God, let fire come down from heaven. And it did, and it killed the, the captain and the 50 men that were with him. Not only once, but twice. John said, Lord, shall we command fire to come down out of heaven, just like Elijah did, and consume these folks? They won't have anything to do with you. Why don't, why don't you just destroy them? Are we not sometimes like sons of thunder when we see the wickedness and the iniquity going on around us and some of the leaders and we wonder why God doesn't destroy them? We're not much better than John sometimes, are we? We need to be mindful of the fact, and yet at the same time, we cannot, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We cannot, 
recognize evil for being um, we can we can't overlook evil this boanerges is of a chaldean origin they tell us which means sons of commotion and in the hebrew the word of course is uh, part of it is ben which is son and the other part meaning violent anger so James and John were a couple of men that were you might say hot-headed God uses all kinds of folks beloved God uses all kinds of folks even people that are by nature hot-headed I hadn't thought about this till just now. In the days of my unregeneracy, you always heard the story about a hot-headed redhead, and sad to say that was part of my disposition. As a boy and as a child, sometimes if you wanted to fight, all you had to do is drop your hat. God has a way of taking a lot of that out of a person. But thankfully, God could use such an individual. Imagine what you would have been if God had not changed your heart. Look at the path upon which you were headed before God showed mercy unto you. You see, these apostles, we're quick to look at their failures and their foibles. But they're just men like us. Abraham, a man of great faith, and yet the scoundrel denied his wife twice. And we could go down the list. But it all magnifies one thing. God is a great Savior. And it's by mighty grace and power and mercy that He saves any of us. John was no different. Not only did he want to destroy these Samaritans, he was also at the beginning very exclusive in preaching. Here in John, here in Luke chapter 9, go back up to verse 49. And John answered and said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him because he followed not us. And Jesus said unto him, Forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us. <coughs> More said about that in Mark chapter 9, but the thing about it is, 
each one of us in studying the Scriptures comes to an understanding of Scripture. And there may be someone that has a different understanding than you do. And if you're not careful, you want to cut them off. Now there are some things that are vital that you cannot compromise. The Trinity. The inspiration of Scripture. That Jesus is the Son of God. There are various doctrines and things of that nature that we cannot compromise on. And But there are people that may hold to positions that we would not hold to, that we may not be able to walk with them uh, in, in congregational fellowship or denominational fellowship. But God doesn't give us the liberty to go around cutting them off. We just leave them with God. That's all we know to do. That's all we can do. Like Paul, when he was in prison at Philippi, and some were saying, you know what Paul's preaching? Why, he's preaching such and such and such and such and such and such. And they were saying that, hoping to uh, add to Paul's uh, problems. Paul said, as long as they're telling the truth, I just thank God the gospel's being preached. And I think we saw something of that if you gave much attention to it. I didn't give much attention to it, but I got a glimpse uh, here and there of the recent funeral of the Queen of England. Now, I have no sympathy with the uh, Anglican religion and their uh, popish practices and other things. But I was thankful that in all of their uh, scriptural presentations, as far as I know, they were all given from the King James Bible. And whether the world recognized it or not, or whether the people that said what they said recognized what they were saying and doing, God presented the truth before multitudes. And for that I was thankful. For that I was thankful. You know, you could get looking at the trappings of the religion and overlook uh, the blessings and while we want to maintain doctrinal integrity and things of that nature, we want to make sure that we're doing it in the right spirit and not with the, the attitude of John before the Lord got through with him. And just say, Lord, why don't you, why don't you cut them off?
John was a son of thunder. He was an exclusive preacher. And John desired preeminence. John desired preeminence. And when you say that, you immediately think of Second John where he talks about diatrophies. I think it's Second John, maybe Third John. But anyway, uh, diatrophies, who love to have the preeminence. But John was a man that loved to have the preeminence. First of all, let's look in Mark chapter 10. Now, we do not have time to look at all of the verses regarding this. But this was essentially almost the same night in which our Lord was betrayed. But in John chapter 10, verse 35, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. Hold your finger there for a moment. I want to go to Matthew chapter 20. Because we don't have time to read it all. But in Matthew chapter 20, look at verses 20 and 21. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit the one on thy right hand and the other on thy left in thy kingdom. Now what do we see here? We see two things. First of all, that uh, James, and, uh, yeah, James and John's mother were fo- was following the Lord. But, James and John put their mother up to asking the Lord. See, Mark just says James and John ask it. But we see that in Matthew, the mother was involved. So back in Mark chapter 10, verse 35, And James and John the sons of Zebedee came uh, coming to him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would you that I should do for you? And they said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on thy right hand and the other on thy left in thy glory. Lord, when the glory world is come, let us sit on your right hand and on your left. And notice, they put mama up to it. The tender-hearted mother. But Jesus said unto them, 
ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto them, unto him, we can. <clears throat> now we're probably, I think we've got, we're going to say more about this uh, later, but they did. Who was the first martyr of the apostles? James. He was beheaded by Herod in Acts chapter 12. Who was the last martyr that we find in the New Testament? John on the Isle of Patmos. They were indeed baptized with the baptism that our Lord spoke of. And Jesus said unto them, <coughs> verse 39, You shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and be baptized. And with the baptism that I am baptized with all shall you be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard of it, even Judas. They began to be much displeased with James and John. You see, if you're not careful in reading these verses, you think of John being a different kind of man than what he was before the Lord got through with him. And Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. But whosoever of you will be chiefest shall be servant, slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. So we see that John was a son of thunder. Exclusive in his preaching. Desired to be have the preeminence. But this uneducated Fisherman was very intellectual and philosophical. And while it is true that John wrote by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the opening remarks in his gospel and in the first epistle are profound. Listen, and you know it well. But look in John 1, 1. John was a very intellectual man. Like I said, he wrote by inspiration. But God used this man and the thoughts of this man. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. 
All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. And in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And then verse 14, And the Word, the Word that was in the beginning with God, the Word that was God, the Word that made everything, the Word in whom life dwells, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Those are profound statements. Those are profound statements. If that's not enough, look at our epistle. 1 John chapter 1. Verse 1. <clears throat> that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. If that's not enough, 1 John chapter 5, a very discussed, uh, much, a much discussed passage that all of the modern translations delight to leave out, which we refuse to do. 1 John 5, verse 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in the earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. Profound statements, but true nevertheless. And if some so-called Bible scholar hadn't come along and said, well, this shouldn't be in some of the best texts, you never would have dreamed it. Like I said, we'll say more about that, the Lord willing, when and if we get there. But First uh, John 5, 7 is part of the original text. First John 5, 7 is essential to being of the Word of God and the doctrine of the Trinity. And don't let anybody ever shake you off that foundation. But I give you these to show the profundity or the intellectualism of this so-called ignorant fisherman. While he wrote by inspiration of the Holy Ghost, 
These remarks are profound and shows much of his thinking. Well, we'll close at that. And I just realized what I preached this morning to what I preached the afternoon of the, <laughs> of the time before. Uh, uh, but I think it'll be good for us anyway. Let's pray. Holy Father, I thank You for taking a man like John, a man that the world would have taken no notice of, a man that was in the fishing industry down on the Sea of Galilee. A man that was, from all appearance, quick-tempered quick by nature. Somewhat exclusive. Even had the desire of preeminence. A man much like us. And we thank You, our God, for taking such sinners, shaping, molding, fashioning, that they might come to their preordained position, predestinated to be conformed to the image of Christ. Help us, our God, to draw nigh to You and strive to be conformed to the image of Christ and not have to be brought kicking and screaming. We're all different, made up differently, have different temperaments, different disciplines, different mindsets. But each one, our God, is a unique flower that You have planted in Your kingdom that when all are put together, designs a blanket that manifest the glory and the majesty of our great God and Creator and Savior. We thank You in Christ Jesus. Amen.